From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. The Gators are all about making history, and the softball program did just that on Sunday night when they were awarded the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament for an astonishing fifth time in 10 years. Given that no other school has even accomplished that feat twice, it speaks volumes about the success that Tim Walton's team has enjoyed, and we'll discuss it with the SEC Coach of the Year on today's show. Also, we'll talk softball, baseball, lacrosse, tennis, football, and more with FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry. But first, softball's winning ways are widely envied but rarely duplicated when you look around the nation, and Tim Walton has been the man responsible for launching this program to the top of the heap. We sat down with Coach Walton to discuss the tournament draw and more, but began by trying to ascertain how they've achieved so much so consistently. You know, I think uh, if, if you ask any of our players and any of our current and former players, I think they would, if you ask them one thing about me, what would it be? And they would probably tell you consistent. You could pretty much pick what time I'll show up to the field for a game. You'll pretty much pick what kind of meals we'll have during the season, what dugout will we practice in, you know, before the end of the postseason or before mm-hmm. we get into postseason play. Um, so I take a lot of pride in being somebody who is fairly consistent. My personality is consistent. My practice habits are consistent. But I flip it and go, my players, my players have all been consistent. They have a tremendous level of work ethic. They have a high pain threshold. They are mentally and physically tough. I think that's been, to me, the most impressive thing about this is that we've gone through a 10-year stretch where our players have completely 100% bought into their team. Forget Tim Walton, forget the University of Florida, forget our softball program. They've completely bought into their team and the people around them, and they take a lot of pride and have shown a great deal of, uh, of respect and admiration for their teammates to want to continue to play well and play hard um, for each other. And I think that, that's something that you can't take away no matter what happens this weekend, next weekend, future weekends. Mm-hmm. I think they've all been very consistent. I talked to Delaney Gorley a few weeks ago, and she talked about the little things that people don't notice that make such a big difference to be a program this successful. And I guess my question is, at what point did you realize that those things were important, that players wore the same things, they showed up at the right times, those little details that don't necessarily directly translate to home runs or wins? When did you discover as a coach how critical those things were? Well, I think in your upbringing, you know, it's, it's the things that I'm most good at and most proud at of were probably the things that I hated the most <laughs> as a young person. You know, I hated, you know, my parents telling me to turn my clothes right side in, put them into the laundry, um, being able to have a sock drawer and making sure that all the socks matched or making sure that you had play clothes and, and school <laughs> clothes. You know, there was a lot of things that, you know, growing up in the time that I grew up with my family and my dad and my, my grandparents and my, you know, my mother that, um, you know, to be honest with you, have in, instilled in me. And then I thought I knew everything and went to junior college and knew nothing. I knew absolutely zero about the game of baseball and learned everything about the game of baseball and the details and the habits. The first day I showed up for practice, for a 2 o'clock practice, you know, I showed up probably at one thirty. I was an early person, and the whole team is there. I was there at one thirty, and I was late. <laughs> and so I, first day of practice, I learned if you're not early, you're late. Mm-hmm. And early wasn't even early in my book. I had to be there even earlier. And so all the things that uh, Delaney talks about, the little things, you know, if we're losing, there's a reason why we're losing. And the first place I go to is the locker room. What does a locker room look like? Is it organized? Is it detailed? Are the hangers, do they match? What direction do the uniforms go in? What direction do the T-shirts go in? Who's a clean player? Who's a dirty player? Who's organized? Who's unorganized? And those are the things that will tell you about the persons that you're coaching. Why, though? I guess that's the question. Why does that directly translate to the wins and losses? Well, if somebody's unorganized, if somebody's scatterbrained, if somebody can't remember the right cleats and they can't remember the right direction that the T-shirts go in, they're not going to be able to remember the signs. They're not going to understand the situations. They're not going to understand a little bit of adversity, and they're not going to understand a little bit of structure. I want you to do it this way. Well, I want to do it this way. Well, that way doesn't equal wins. That equals you feeling more comfortable, which sometimes doesn't equal us being better. And so I think there's a give and take with every 
athlete. There's a give and take with every team. There's a give and take with every coach. And I think that the important part of that is just making sure that you understand there is a way to do it the right way. And if it's that important to me, I will let you know that you're doing it the wrong way. If it's okay, I'll just let it go and we'll keep on moving. Looking at what you lost last year, and this is getting back to the success this team has had, you lost one of the most accomplished senior classes, not just in Florida's history, but in the history of the sport. A lot of people thought that you would take a step back as a result, and yet here you are again as a number one seed with the incredible year you put together. How did this particular team accomplish that, given what you lost? When I opened up my conversations with uh, the public and our booster clubs, you know, I mentioned if you're if you're looking for Kelsey Stewart, Taylor Fuller, Taylor Schwartz, Aubrey Monroe, Kirsty Merritt. If you're looking for them on this team, you're going to be completely 100% disappointed because they're not here. And this team, if you're looking for this, that, or the other, they're here. Just find them. You know, they're they're gonna they're gonna warm your heart. They're gonna play to the level and expectation that you want to play at. So I can tell you that um, I have been pleasantly surprised, like a lot of people, that our players have risen to another level. And uh, we've done a great job. Our leadership, our senior leaders have done a great job or our veteran leaders have done a great job of instilling the standards and the expectations and the culture of our program. And it's continuing to keep on moving and keep on going forward. Um, We have taken a step backwards in regards to certain aspects of the way we used to play. Um, It's clear. It's easy to see. I mean, we we don't hit as many home runs. We don't steal as many bases in some ways. We don't have the dynamics of of a Kelsey Stewart. But we have a lot of players that are playing like that. You know, Janelle Wheaton has had one of the best seasons behind the plate of any catcher we've had, mm-hmm. not only in her percentage of throwing people out, but her, her ability to catch probably one of the hardest pitchers there is to catch in all of softball and Kelly Barnhill, and she's done a fabulous job. So I would say that we've taken a step back in regards to maybe the style in which we've played, but we've taken two or three or four steps forward in adapting to a different way to continue to equal wins. How much pride do you take in being able to keep winning in so many different ways? As you just mentioned, five, six years ago, you were setting records for home runs, and now you're winning in a completely different way. Is that something that you take particular pride in? Yeah, you know, the one thing that you you can think about, because you were there in 2009, we lost the national championship to a very fit, a very athletic Washington team. I mean, they made us look, you know, bad in some ways of how dynamic they were at bunting and slapping and hitting and athletically making plays. And so we made a concerted effort to try to get a little bit more dimensional. Um, And I think that helped us a bunch. And you look at the 2014 team wasn't necessarily the greatest talented team that you've ever seen but we were so dynamic we can do so many things Kelsey Stewart can do so many things Stephanie Toft could do so many things Kirsty Merritt could do so many things and then you take the level of defense that we could play having one of the best shortstops in the game Katie Medina Um, so we adjusted to kind of our deficiencies in 09 Mm -hmm. and so as you recruit you start recruiting to things that you like or don't like, or want, or don't have. And so you start to become, I think that's everybody's recruiting style. I have a blueprint for what I want to do and what I want to be and how I want to be, but it doesn't always look like that when they get here. You know, you think mm-hmm. you recruit one way, but yet the recruit gets here and they're, they're another way. Uh, and then the early recruiting process has really hurt uh, a lot because it, it hasn't hurt the talent that you're recruiting. It hasn't recruited the, the talent level of the players. Um, I just think it's changed and hurt the overall growth of the athletes because now they become a little more comfortable. Now they become a little bit more directional earlier in their process. And so they become a little bit more comfortable and they, and they maybe aren't exposed as many ways to a lot of other things that they would have been doing in a normal continual growth. They almost mature a little bit earlier. And again, we're still recruiting great talented players. Some of them have come in here and have been equally as good as we thought they were going to be. But with that being said, I think that's hurting the overall, stunting the growth of athletes, in my opinion, because you don't have the uncomfortable, who's going to take my position, who's going to do this Mm -hmm. and who's going to do that. You just don't have that as much as you used to have because everybody kind of just does things, commits real early, and and it's a little bit more comfortable. And I I can be frank and honest. I've said that all along. I still love my recruits. I still love the players that we have coming in here. I just think that the process is a little bit flawed, and it does hurt their overall development. And um, I think that's why you see the dynamics of, of, of some teams changing at times is because you just don't know always what you're going to get. And they don't know what they're always mm-hmm. going to get. 
is the train already going down the tracks and you can't stop it, or is that something the sport as a whole can make a concerted effort to change? Yeah, I think the NCAA and the coaching groups are all making adjustments, and I think that's all it needs. It doesn't need to be changed. It doesn't mean give up this or get rid of that. It just just adjust. Adjust to the process. Figure out how to slow the process down. Figure out how to, to meet the student-athlete and the parent needs and get them what they need, but then also get the coaches and the players and the existing players on their teams what they need. I'm not looking at this as a negative thing. I'm just looking at we have to adjust. We have to adjust to, um, to the trends because um, athletes want to know where they're going to go earlier. They're more educated now than – I mean, shoot, I didn't even know what college was <laughs> until I was a, uh, a second-year college person and, you know, and playing at the junior college. So I think the athletes are more mature. The players are more mature. Um, they're all a lot more gifted and talented and dedicated, and they work harder now. They've got a structured – eating regiment and lifting regiment and school regiment. There's just a lot more structure than, than I ever remember me being. And I think that helps in some regards, but I think it also hurts the overall body of development of the human development. I mm-hmm. think more than anything, just developing your athlete or your person into being able to take smaller steps as opposed to taking as big a steps as early as they're taking them. Your team won the SEC this year in a season where every team from the league went to the NCAA tournament, which has never happened before, but 13 for 13 just remarkable to see what the conference did. And you've been here during this entire formative stretch where the SEC has gotten the next level. So I'm curious, from your perspective, what's allowed the league to get to a point where every single team is in the big dance? Well, we used to only take eight teams. And uh, I can remember uh, we added uh, A&M and Missouri and, and added a couple new coaches. And the coaches were wondering why we don't take as many teams to the SEC tournament. If Georgia didn't make the NCAA tournament this year, I would bet – half my paycheck, if not all my paycheck, that next year we'd have every team in the SEC hmm. at the SEC tournament some way, some shape, somehow. Why? Because Georgia deserved to be in the NCAA tournament for their whole body of work. Look at their number of wins that they had this year compared to last year's, the lower teams, way ahead of where we've been. So our league is very even. Anybody in our league can beat anybody at any given time. I said it from day one. They picked the, the Florida Gators to be the number one team this year. The coaches did. And, and again, we were. We had the best winning percentage. We lost the fewest amount of games. We won the most games. But we could have easily lost a lot of other games along the way. We won a Friday night game here or Saturday night game here against one of the teams early in the season. Won a great game on the road. We won another great. So we could have easily been two, three, four, five, whatever it would have been. So I think the parity was there. Um, I think the growth of the league has is, is come down from the SEC itself, the commitment to the, the conference tournament, the commitment to our, our league, the mm-hmm. television that we have. Um, but then the coaches, now you go to the universities, they're making changes in their programs, they're upgrading their facilities, they're giving them more dollars, they're chartering more plane trips. We're on TV on Monday nights, we've got Sunday night softball, we've got our own selection show on ESPN2 now. We used to have to get, pull out the rabbit ears on the TV and try to get it in the right direction <laughs> just, to, com. just yeah. to see where it was going to be popping <laughs> up. And I mean, we, we've grown as a sport so fast and so... So well. I think that the growth of the sport has been great. But I'm, I'm very proud of our of our other 12 coaches in this league for everybody being in postseason play, um, for everybody making the NCAA tournament. No matter what happens, you know, we're going to be overhyped, underhyped. People are going to say, wow, they shouldn't have had 13 teams in because look what happened to this team or look mm-hmm. what happened to this team or this team should have been that. Uh, I love Joe Madden's quote after I think it was game six of the World Series. I think there should be a negative Twitter and a positive Twitter, <laughs> and you have to pick which one you're going to be on. You're going to be on negative Twitter or positive Twitter. I'm super positive and super excited for the growth and the sport of softball, the parity of softball, and the ability for all 13 of our teams to be in postseason play. Not all eight teams are going to be SEC teams at the World Series, um, which I'm not for or against, but I do think that it is healthy for having other teams outside of our league playing in the SEC. I do think that mid-majors have an opportunity to win their regionals, which I think is also good for the sport um, until we, you know, maybe, maybe the NCAA makes, you know, wholesale changes down the road. But very proud of our coaches, very proud. And Greg Sankey, I mean, I mean this guy is, is, is a genius in his own right. Uh, signing the sport of softball, our own uh, administrator. We now have our own administrator in the sport of softball who handles the tournament, handles the softball uh, meetings, handles our, our complaints, our, our suggestions, and hiring the umpires and getting an umpire coordinator. Byron Hatch has done a great job of elevating the SEC's presence in SEC softball. And I, again, I give them a lot of credit for that. You just talked about some of the ways which the SEC has sort of taken over that national conversation. And part of it is when the committee puts out the field and you see some of these conference matchups. Now, a lot of people are looking at Florida-Alabama already. I know you're not there, so I guess my question to you would be, how do you feel in general about the practice of 
all-conference super regionals and potentially knocking each other out and playing teams you're very familiar with? Well, again, I have a lot of respect for what the NCAA committee has to do in regards to selecting the most fair, um, rewarding the teams that are, are, are the best, spending the most money without losing the most <laughs> amount of dollars, getting regional teams to go regionally so they can get on a bus versus getting on a plane. Mm-hmm. Um, no matter what they do, somebody should have been in the tournament. Somebody shouldn't have been in the tournament. Someone should have been in this seat. Mm-hmm. Someone should have hosted. Someone shouldn't have hosted. So it's a difficult task for them to go about. The, the polls mean nothing. The ranking systems mean nothing. In, in some essence, they're just eye tests, and in other, they're just popularity contests in some ways. So right. people get confused with the polls versus the body of work, the win-loss record versus teams that actually win – games and um so i I don't think you're ever going to uh ever going to hit a home run and be completely 100 percent satisfied with the system why would i be satisfied knowing who's in my regional versus who we could match up with here versus who we could match up down the road i'm not satisfied why would i ever be satisfied with um we want the worst teams to play so we can continue to advance (laughs) down the road who who doesn't but i had a hard time going through the top 20 and saying who are the worst teams? Who do I want to be in our regional or in our super regional? I couldn't even tell you that. So that tells you how good college softball is right now. Um, I don't feel sorry for anybody. Nobody feels sorry for us and what you have to do. You just, at the end of the day, you got to go out and win. You got to get your team to play well enough to win. And I think that's the only formula that you can, you can go about. Someone's going to win. Someone's going to lose. Um, but I think the NCAA committee has a very difficult, difficult task. You're comparing apples to oranges. You're not comparing mm-hmm. apples to apples. You try to create a system that's, that's fair and, and, and adequate in the RPI. We also have subcommittees. We have committees, so it's called a RAC. You have regional advisory committees where people in the region compare regions to regions to regions to regions. Wow. So there's a lot more work that goes into this selection committee than anybody would ever think. Um, but, you know, again, nobody's going to be perfect. You're always going to make a lot of mistakes. You know, you get hurt when your conference doesn't have a lot of ranked teams or a lot of teams that beat other teams that are ranked. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of things that go into this. But not super excited about our regional f- matchups, not super excited about a potential super regional matchup, and not even excited about a potential World Series matchup if you want to go down the list. But, again, I've been coaching long enough. I don't know that I've ever been completely 100%. Oh, wait. Uh, Thanks, regional. Committee. Thanks, committee. You did me a favor. <laughs> it's always tough. And at the end of the day, you got to get down there and play between the white lines, and you hope your 18- to 22-year-old players can step up and be hungry and get after it and, and get lucky. Before we talk about that regional field, one of the reasons you're in this position is because of the year that your pitching staff had, and specifically what Kelly Barnhill did, just otherworldly stuff. She might be the national player of the year. Did you always see this in her when you brought her in? And if so, what unlocked that this season? So I made a big mistake. I overhyped Delaney Gorley as a freshman. And what I mean by that is no matter what Delaney did, it was probably going to never be be of that hyped level mm-hmm. coming in with all the accolades in, in California and, and travel ball. Delaney Gorley is tremendous. She's a great pitcher, a great person, consistent as all get up. So I didn't make the same mistake with Kelly in, in, in overhyping her because Delaney and Kelly were the same kind of recruit, a number one pitcher with the ability to win you a national championship, mm-hmm. with the ability to be on a national team to pitch their country to a gold medal. They both have the same type of ability. Um, and so I didn't make the same mistake with Kelly as I made with Delaney. And, and, and I say overhyping him is letting them be freshmen because every freshman's going to come in here and stumble. And every freshman has come in here mm-hmm. and stumbled, especially the pitcher. So, so the answer to your question, yes, I saw that uh, potential in Kelly. Um, saw the same potential and you know, really what Delaney Gorley has become and, and not only last year but this year and future years when she pitches with the national team. So I just didn't say it outwardly as mm-hmm. much as maybe I had, had thought it before just because of the, of the undue pressure of being a Florida Gator and the national attention that you're going to get no matter what. Without You don't have to be, even be the number one recruit. You can be the number two recruit mm-hmm. or the number 52 recruit. They're still going to put a lot of pressure on you. How did she get to this level this season? Um, I think that her work ethic is tremendous. Mm-hmm. And again, I've already already bragged about my, my team's work ethic because you have to have tremendous work ethic. Not only do you have to have tremendous work ethic, but you have to be consistent. I don't like surprises, <laughs> and I don't like um, – if you're not good enough, I'm okay. I don't like up and down, peaks and valleys. I want consistent. You can have a bad day. It's fine. It happens. But you can't have bad days. Mm-hmm. And Kelly doesn't have bad days. Um, she knows how to work. She's very smart about working. We figured out a lot more how to coach Kelly 
Kelly has figured out a lot more how to coach Kelly herself. <laughs> and um, uh, so I, I would really, to be honest with you, I would give Kelly more credit than I would give us because I think Kelly has recognized the things that she has to improve on. She understands her deficiencies. She knows what pitches she doesn't throw very well. She knows what she needs to throw. Um, but she's really put a lot of time into her, into herself. She's also put a lot of time into her teammates, um, more, more than anybody will ever know. I'll share with you one, one fact. Um, she either purchased a massage or a manicure or a pedicure or all three or just a manicure and a pedicure for at least Janelle Wheaton, at least Janelle. She deserves all of them. That's for... <laughs> next level stuff, though. You yeah. can't get a college athlete who's trying to scrape together two quarters together to figure out what they're going to do the next day to actually spend money on their catcher mm-hmm. because she has respect for what her catcher has to do for Kelly's needs. That's next level stuff. And I can't teach that. I can try to teach that all day long. Mm-hmm. I can't teach it. So, uh, again, I give Kelly a lot of credit and respect for being humble even though she's very confident she's a very confident individual she's very smart she works really hard she has become uh, a very good teammate and she has really shown uh, to me a lot more of a softer side to some of her teammates more so now and now she can come out to the field walk through the gates and be completely comfortable be completely confident and also have the respect of her teammates because they know how hard she works, how driven she is, but how nice she is too. Uh, she's a really nice, she's a, a very nice uh, human being. I, I have a lot of respect for what Kelly does. Looking at this weekend, the big storyline everyone's talking about is Kenny Gajewski bringing his Oklahoma State team here to Gainesville. And for those that don't know, he was an assistant here for three years, one of your closest friends. When you saw that pop up on the screen, what was your immediate reaction to seeing Oklahoma State coming to Gainesville? Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's just a, you knew it. Again, why does Sean Miller have to always match up with Arizona and Xavier? Mm-hmm. Why does that happen all the time? You know, it's kind of like a, as much as I praised our committee, it's almost a twisted, <laughs> you know, why, is, why does so-and-so have to play so-and-so in a, in right. a potential rematch? It just seems to be um, a little bit, uh, let's call it ironic in some regards. But uh, to be honest with you, their, their RPI matches up with coming to Gainesville they can't go to Texas A&M. Why? Because it changes the dynamics of the Texas A&M regional because of Texas being so close. Uh, they can't go to Norman because they're in the same conference. Mm-hmm. Where are you going to send them? Maybe you could send them to Arizona. Maybe you could you know, send them out that direction. So we actually thought it was probably going to be Oklahoma State, uh, Cal, or Arizona State. They, they just seem to match up in the regional mm-hmm. RPI mix. Um, but my initial reaction was, you know, I, I just now I'm only rooting for one team in postseason. That's the Florida Gators, right. where if Oklahoma State was somewhere else, I could be rooting for two teams. <laughs> you know, that's that's really what it comes down to. It's a friendship. It's a bond. You know, he got me into the sport of softball. I got him into the sport of softball. You know, and so there's a lot of connection, a lot of ironic twists. Our sons are three days apart. Wow. Um, we've I've lived in his house when I was coaching at the University of Oklahoma. He and I have... Uh, you know, we've we've been great friends for a long period of time. We've done a lot of things together. We've shared in at least uh, three national championships together and conference championships. You know, you know, but we have a long, long standing history. We'll always have a long standing history. But it kind of stinks this weekend because um, I won't get to talk to him this weekend. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll shake hands. Up, we'll probably exchange, you know, an, a nice hug and a gesture at home plate. But um, we won't be sharing any scouting reports. We won't be sharing any kind of information. That, that's the bummer of this is that we're, we're not enemies. But if you ask me which team I want to win, um, it's the Gators. I don't want uh, them to win because we've got a lot of kids in that locker room that have put their heart and soul into this season. And so that's my only that's my only bummer. I'm pr- super proud of him, though, mm-hmm. man. I mean, he's done a great job in such a short period of time of changing the culture, changing. And culture doesn't necessarily mean it was bad. It's just changing the culture, going from being – good to being better than good going from better than good to being great mm-hmm. now, he's really stepped up the, their their commitment level of their team and their program and he's done some great things at Oklahoma State really really proud of him um, but it makes it tough to compete when you now have to you have to almost tie in a little bit of emotion in there and that, sure. that I like doing this thing vanilla no emotion <laughs> let's just go What's the tangible dynamic there when you match up? If you do match up against him, it's not set in stone it'll happen. But if it does happen, 
how does that play out in terms of things he knows about you, things you know about him, your tendencies, situations, signs? I mean, you name it. How much have you thought about those parts of it? Yeah, I mean, who who doesn't think? Well, I guess some people don't think of it that way, but uh, who doesn't think of it that way? You know, we'll uh, we'll have to make our internal adjustments. You know, we'll have to make some uh, some things that maybe would come natural to us to do certain things. We'll have to change those things. I can get in depth with that, you know, probably after the weekend more than I would before the weekend. But mm-hmm. you have to make adjustments and, and changes that you wouldn't have to make if somebody in that other dugout didn't spend as many years playing the game of baseball together. I mean, I, I've spent more hours with Kenny Gajewski on a field than any other human being, in my, more than my any family, any coach, anybody. I mean, mm-hmm. we've spent more hours. Junior college, you don't even keep hours there, so we could spend, you know, I can team and tell you how many hours you spent on the field <laughs> Who there. Who knows so how much time you were there? It was, I mean, we didn't have lights, thankfully. If we had lights, it wouldn't have been, it would have been ugly. It's never <laughs> left. We never, there would have never <laughs> been a leave part, so. But anyway, I just think that to me, you have to make your adjustments. You have to make changes and things that you do because, you know, somebody does know uh, or have a little bit more inside information to you. But we won't do a whole lot. We are who we are. Um, There's not a whole lot of stuff that we're going to openly change. Mm -hmm. Uh, Behind closed doors, we're not changing a lot of stuff. You know, I told our players the other day that, hey, a lot of you guys have spent the recruiting process with, you know, with Coach G and, um, you know, and I expect you to say hello and to shake his hand and, uh, you know, whatever. But when we're playing, you know, if, uh, if I was in the other dugout coaching against them, they would they would be rooting against me. So sure. and, and they have no problem with that. We can split this team up into an orange and blue. And if I were coaching one team, our half our team would be against me just like that. So um, but more than anything, I can tell you that uh, a lot of respect and very proud of, of the job that he's done in, in two years uh, uh, and, and taking Stacy Pestrack with him and the, just the things that they've mm-hmm. done. Super proud of him. He's done a really good job. You've also got FIU and FAMU that are going to be here. You've played both of them this season. Size them up for us. Both are good. I think the FAMU reputation has not been something you go, oh, we match up a FAMU round one. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's an easy advance to day, to day two. Um, and again, Pereira, their best pitcher, Seems like she's been here now for six years. We matched up with her in a regional, I think, her freshman year. She pitched lights out, pitched really good. Uh, we saw her there in our tournament, pitched again really well. Pitched a 1-0 game, I think, against Bethune-Cookman. Has had a really good year. Their team is so much better. Coach Wiggins and, and her staff, it's easy to see the uh, the younger assistant coaches in the dugout that are just getting after it with the players and saying positive things. And they've done a great job at, at FAMU. Really, not, I'm not calling it turning it around because they've been a regional team almost – seems like they, they're a regional team every other year, if not every year. They've done a really good job of changing uh, the dynamics of that whole team and their offense and their defense and their pitching. Um, and then what Gator's done uh, down at uh, FIU has been, been very good too. Had run a very successful travel team down in South Florida for a long period of time and uh, has brought that winning way to FIU. Um, very offensive team. They always seem to hit very, very well. A first baseman who we haven't seen a couple times because she's been injured. Um, but very good first baseman. Got a lot of power. Um, they hit for power. They'll run a little bit. They, I, I noticed they played really good. They were kind of a, a slick, smooth-feeling defensive team. Um, and then they threw a freshman pitcher at us last time who pitched lights out too. It's going to be a tough regional. I won't lie to you. I, I, I thought this was a, a tougher regional than we've had in some regards just because of the depth. Um, but maybe that's just college softball. Maybe the depth mm-hmm. of college softball has changed now from what it was in 2009. But uh, we got a good, good regional, very – very good softball teams in this regional. Final thing for you, every coach wants to go in the tournament playing their best. You want to be hot at the right time of year. How do you feel your team is playing overall right now, and how do you get to that point where you feel like you're keyed in for a long run? You know, I don't feel like this year we've well, – there was a stretch maybe out in California where I felt like this team – this is the best team I've had in three years. <laughs> and then we go back to being normal and mediocre and average at most everything except for pitching and defense. And mm-hmm. then we come back, and then we hit the heck out of the ball, and we make three errors on defense or do something silly. Um, so I don't know that I've been completely satisfied with this team being to its potential um, the whole year. But I told my team this, you know, something pretty private. But I told my team that, you know, if you would asked me at the beginning of the year if we were going to be SEC champions and the number one seed in the NCAA tournament this year, I would have told you, you guys are crazy. We'll take the seven seed and we'll take the mm-hmm. fourth place in the league this year with, with me having to change so many positions and make so many adjustments and so many changes and uh, being so we're, – we're super young. I mean, don't, don't look at the roster on there and see how many freshmen and sophomores do we have on this team. We have mm-hmm. – I think we have 10 or 11. I mean, it's a ton. So very proud of this team. 
where we have to go is confidence. I've been saying confidence for a long time. I mean, look at our scores and our number. I mean, how many times you look up and go, man, the Gators have four hits and three runs. Wow, awesome. But we have 16 strikeouts. Yeah, right. Right. The, the pitching staff took care of us or made two really nice plays on defense to, to, to pull us out of an inning. Um, if we continue to pitch the way we pitch, we're going to be very tough to beat. If we continue to play the same defense when our pitchers don't strike somebody out, we're going to be very tough to beat. If we hit on top of one of those two things, mm-hmm. preferably the pitching, <laughs> if we hit on top of one of those two things, we're a very tough matchup for anybody because our lineup is left-hand heavy. We can do a lot of things. We've got some really good hitters. But I've seen this team be very normal at times, and really the reason why we've been normal is because we've, we just haven't, haven't strung our hits together and we haven't been as confident as we need to be. Um, we've had a lot of lulls where we have nine outs in a row that look the exact same. But then we have nine straight hits, and you're going, what in the heck got into this team? It really has a lot to do with the other team in the circle. What is that pitcher doing in the circle? I would say that's the key to the rest of our postseason is what's in the circle and how do we continue to battle, adjust, uh, or not adjust at the plate. And I think that, to me, is the ultimate key to uh, the winning formula. Well, thank you for your time, as always, Coach, and good luck in the NCAA tournament. Sounds good. Thanks, Adam. Go Gators. Softball may be taking center stage with the start of the NCAA tournament, but baseball is also top of mind with a chance to win the SEC title, and women's tennis is making their way to Athens in pursuit of a national championship. We sat down with Chris Harry and Scott Carter to discuss these topics and more, but began by zeroing in on Tim Walton's team and the path ahead. There's some intrigue to this in that the last time out, the Ole Miss game in the uh, SEC tournament, one and done, weren't able to push any runs across, lost 2 nothing to Ole Miss. Very good team, by the way. A hot team as well. And, hey, they're one of the rare SEC teams that made it to the NCAA tournament, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's, a, it's a, uh, an, an endangered species in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I mean, you, I was listening to Pat Dooley talking to uh, Laura Rutledge on his radio show, and he was saying they would have thought he would, they would have tried to keep one team out just to say that not all of them were in. Sure. Georgia didn't even make the, the SEC tournament. And yet Georgia is in the NCAA tournament. So uh, quite an achievement. It's, it's been a great season for Ole Miss, obviously. And that was a good win for them. But at the same time, I think we talked about it last week. Uh, Florida hasn't won the SEC tournament since 2013. They didn't win it in 2014, won the national championship. Didn't win it in 2015, won the national championship. Didn't win it last year. Went to Super Regional, of course, had that uh, dramatic walk-off loss to Georgia. So uh, there's probably some concern about you know scoring some runs. Mm-hmm. Um, the the players each spoke about that during their interview sessions um, on Tuesday. And obviously, you know, you, you want to get the bats going. That was kind of a talking point last year, if I'm not mistaken, Adam. Mm-hmm. But uh, certainly, if you're Tim Walton, you're not going to put that in their heads and talk about it a lot. I wouldn't if I were he. And he's he's certainly has forgotten more softball than I'll ever know. So uh, uh, they'll be looking to get the bats hot again. You know, pitching is 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 going to be really really good if they can get any facsimile of of offensive run support um, with that pitching. Obviously, they're going to be very difficult to defeat. One of the things that Tim Walton talked about when I spoke with him was confidence. And I asked him about it. How are you playing right now relative to where you want to be? And he said it's all about confidence being high. What was your read on the players that you talked to in terms of where that confidence level is? They really sounded confident. I mean, I don't think they could come out and, and be unconfident. I remember last year I did a big story heading into the postseason on that remarkable senior class. They had gone through a little bit of offensive lull too, but they were confident and they had every reason to be confident at him because of what they'd done in the postseason the previous two seasons. So he needs to get Amanda Lorenz and he needs to get Kaylee Kavist out on base. Mm-hmm. And they, he needs those are two bats I think he's going to be looking at for production this week and obviously assuming they make it to next week. So I think it kind of starts there and kind of spreads. And if you, you get those two swinging the bat, hitting the way they're supposed to, turn the lineup over, and um, I wouldn't think there's a whole lot of limitation to what this team can do. One of the interesting subplots here is this potential matchup between Florida and Oklahoma State, the Tim Walton and Kenny Gaisky, his former assistant. And certainly that was probably in the minds of the committee when they made that decision. But I think it just highlights a really interesting dynamic that you see throughout sports. And we saw it with Billy Donovan when Rick Pitino was going up against him. The, the whole mentor-mentee, uh, if I take us back to the Muschamp era, the Jedi Padawan that he was very confused by with Saban. Mm-hmm. That's a really interesting dynamic in coaching that we're seeing more and more, and, and now it's trickling over to softball I don't, as well. I, I don't look at it as mentor and pupil, if, if you will, or what ha- uh, I look at it more as friends. 
I compare it more to Billy Donovan used to hate the, the games he hated the most. He, he hated playing Rick Pitino, obviously, and he never beat Rick Pitino. Mm-hmm. But the ones he really, really hated were when he had to play Anthony Grant and John sure. Pelfrey and Donnie Jones because he didn't ever like to see them lose, and now he's got to beat them. And they're over there, and you know, you're trying to pick at your, your best friend's weaknesses on his team and everything. And he, he always told me that those are the games that he hated to coach the most. And, and Tim Walton spoke about that on, on Tuesday when he met with the media. Just It's not an easy thing. Thing because mm-hmm. these guys have been through so much together. They're, they're, they were the best of friends when they were here. He even mentioned that Kenny's uh, uh, kids were coming and his kids were going to ride scooters together probably the day of the game. So mm-hmm. uh, it is something they'll have to get through. But at the same time, I'm sure Tim Walton will be able to compartmentalize and focus on what needs to be done. And if he has to send Kenny packing from, <laughs> from the NCAA tournament, that's that is his job. That's, sure. what, that's his what his job. job. Yes. And, you know, in terms of just looking at Florida's postseason, Chris says they're confident. I mean, you got to be confident when you got the best pitcher in the country, Kelly mm-hmm. Barnhill. That, to me, makes Florida a favorite to win it all, just because if you look at the times they have won it, the shining star each year was, what, Hannah Rogers and then Lauren Hager. They mm-hmm. dominated their stay in Oklahoma City. They got some runs, but Kelly Barnhill's every bit as good as they are. I think she's probably had as dominant a season as they ever did in their careers. I mean, Most dominant of any Gator pitcher ever. Yeah. One of the most dominant pitchers in, in the, the softball the era. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And, you know, you look at – I know she gave up a couple of runs and a home run near the end of the season. Like, people are like, oh, wow, she's human. To walk off against Florida. But at the same yeah. time, I don't know. It's, it's, it's different than baseball. But probably for her to have a little time here to rest probably doesn't hurt, right? But, sure. No question. So, you know, I, I just think if I'm Till Walton and I got her out there, I feel pretty good with my chances. Yeah, and, and not necessarily to piggyback, but the deal with Hannah Rogers, Hannah Rogers pitched better than she had probably in her whole career. Would you agree with that, Adam, at, at, in Oklahoma During yeah, that she, postseason she stretch? The peak of her career no was qu- when the games meant the most. And I think we might be able to say the same thing about Lauren, right? No, yeah. no question. Yeah, yeah. Let's so, take it nominated for an SB against LeBron. Yeah, so this time <laughs> last year, and, and I don't know if I'm, I'm going against what Scott says or not, this time last year Florida had Delaney Gorley and had Alicia Casio, and those were – the two number two and three ERAs, or the one and three ERAs in the whole country. In the nation, so sure. they felt great about their pitching at that time. This girl, I mean, Kelly Barnhill, what's her ERA right now? Is it 0.33, <laughs> 22 and one? And what are strikeouts to roll? Here's my here's my favorite <laughs> stat 148 and two third innings, 282 strikeouts. 282 strikeouts. And what is it, tw- how many walks? 25? She, she has walked 27. Right. And she's only given up 61 hits. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know. In terms of pitching numbers, uh, softball, baseball, whatever sport you want to go with, that's about as dominant as I've ever I seen. Wanna, I want to say she's dropped her ERA almost a full run from this time last year, mm-hmm. and she was not in the circle when Georgia hit the walk-off. So I would imagine all the important innings uh, in the postseason are going to be left to Kelly Barnhill, and we're going to see Delaney Gorley spot duty, and we're going to see her in what she's used to doing, mm-hmm. you know, being called on in high-pressure situations, which she loves. She'll have a big smile on her face. She'll look confident and, you know, just go out there and try to do what she did in Oklahoma City when she was a freshman in 2014, what she did in 2015. And I, I do agree. So if you have, you have that pitching and you have your ace, um, but at the same time, Kelly Barnhill has that, after giving up that walk-off homer to Florida State, she has a little bit of that uh, uh, Ivan Drago. She's not a machine. He's a man. Sure. You know, she's a woman. <laughs> you know, she's bleeding a little bit after that. Let's right. let's let's see how she responds because she was not called on last year in the, in the high pressure situations. I got to think that she's going to be the one in there for this time. Let's shift our focus a little bit to baseball now. And we talked last week about how hot they were, Scott. They've stayed hot. They went on the road against Alabama, and they got a sweep when they really needed one to stay where they are in the SEC. And now it sets up this high-stakes weekend against Kentucky, which also doubles as senior weekend. Perfect weekend uh, if you're a baseball fan, college baseball fan, because you're right, Adam. The Gators, what, they've won 10 in a row in the SEC conference games. They're overall 19-8 and eight in the conference, which is a game better than Kentucky in the East and LSU overall. So, I mean, Florida could end this weekend uh, if they keep doing what they've been doing the past three weekends, you know, as the overall conference champion, a division champion. That's pretty far from that 0-3 start. Sure. But what's really happened here is they've continued to get good pitching and finally the bats that you knew would come awake, they finally have. And J.J. Schwartz is at the top of that. Uh, there's no denying that if J.J. Schwartz is hitting, it just helps everybody out in the lineup better. And he's starting to rediscover his power. He's up to eight home runs, leading the team. And uh, if he keeps like this, uh, you know, I think it's going to 
really been a fit for but yeah, this is a Kentucky team that they've never let up either they went 4-0 last week uh 18 and 9 a game back of the Gators like I said one thing you look at Kentucky and you wonder about they play in a pretty small ballpark up there in Lexington they're 25 and 5 at home hmm. but only 10 and 10 on the road so you kind of like the way the Gators playing at home where they're 24 and 7 this year you kind of like the way the matchups going but uh it's just going to be uh, three uh, interesting games out there Thursday through Saturday. And, you know, you got this series, and then you got LSU playing Mississippi State. You know, the lot's going to be determined this weekend. It seems like the tenor has really changed. I remember early in the year, you mentioned the rough start, but people are wondering what's happened to Florida. And people didn't think Florida was maybe going to be a super regional team, let alone a World Series team. What has tangibly changed that, that you've been able to see? First of all, you know, they started hitting. I mean, mm-hmm. like we just talked about, but you just always expected it to eventually happen. But when it didn't happen by midseason, obviously fans, uh, Kevin O'Sullivan, there's going to be some growing concern there. Mm-hmm. And it's still not where I think the lineup is everybody's hitting one through nine, but your big guys are hitting, Schwartz is hitting, and they've really got a lot of grip production out of guys filling in. you got to remember Jonathan India misses about a dozen games at third base. Christian Hicks has really picked up the slack. Mike Verveer, he gets hurt. He's been out about a month. Mark Cola Savari done a great job. I mean, so so these guys, I mean, they're just they're getting production from a lot of their uh, bench guys mm-hmm. in these uh, higher profile roles. And now they think they're going to get Rivera back this week, so uh, that should only help. Uh, but yeah, and you know, you just can't underestimate what the pitching has done either. You knew that Singer and Fayetto and uh, Jackson Coar, you knew that they had the ability to basically lock down mm-hmm. those top three spots without blinking. And uh, But, you know, until you you see them all, because for the first time, this was Coar's and the Singer's first run really through an entire season as a 1-2-3 rotation. And, uh, and you knew Fayetto would be pretty good. They've all lived up to expectations. They found the closer in Michael Byrne. Bullpen rolls have kind of settled in nicely. So it's stuff that Kevin O'Sullivan talked about that he expected to happen. It happened slower, I think, than he wanted to. But now it's finally happening. You're seeing the results. So baseball wraps up the regular season this week, and then we'll talk about their postseason next week. We're going to talk more postseasons for other sports now. Let's hit tennis here, Chris, especially on the women's side. Number one, very high expectations. And I saw an interesting story that you did about Lauren Embry, who helped Florida win a national championship, now using her experience to help Florida as a volunteer coach. Lauren Embry uh, retired from tennis, actually, in 2015. She said and, and in my talking to her uh, after the Florida defeated Miami to advance to the Sweet 16. She retired in 2015 and sat out for about 10 months and then kind of got the uh, Jones again to go back and started retraining and down at Saddlebrook uh, north of Tampa. Played in, like, I think she said 11 tournaments uh, since December. And then kind of had a lull and happened to talk to Roland Thornquist. And Roland Thornquist, hey, why don't you uh, – we got NCAs coming up. So she came up and has, uh, has been like a, a volunteer assistant coach. She manned a couple of the courts during the uh, uh, the regional here over the weekend. And this is a young lady with some mojo. I say young lady. Now, she thinks she's old at 26. And she was a de facto kind of coach out there a little bit. And um, I was in – and now the, the Gators go to Athens for the round of 16. Men and women are both playing up there for the national championship tournaments and what have you. Um, she be there Friday with the team and uh, the last time I was in Athens for a tennis match was the 2012 national championships where Florida was out there I believe it was against UCLA and she had the walk-off match clincher Mm -hmm. for the second year in a row I think the the year before that she was the match clincher came back I want to say from five two down in the third set Mm -hmm. to beat Stanford and so she is, and Roland Thornquist said that she, she may be one of the five greatest women's players in, in college tennis history in terms wow. of a four-year player who uh, she was on two national championship teams. She was just a really, really gutty player who was in the, in the middle uh, of some bi- really big moments in, in Florida athletic history and put Florida over the top for those back-to-backs. So she was back to help out. Um, Courtney Keegan was one of the players she was out kind of watching and uh, – uh, Courtney Keegan was a um, freshman when Lauren stayed for her fifth year to f- just finish her, her degree work mm-hmm. and what have you. So she said it was kind of cool to kind of just not really mentor, but she said it was um, when she talked to these players, she kind of thought about what Roland would say to them in certain situations. But she also thought about what she would like to hear in certain situations to kind of uh, get them through a moment, get them through whatever adversity at that moment w- might be. But she also said she also tried to stay out of the way a little bit because she hasn't been coaching them. So mm-hmm. she said it's something maybe she would like to do down the line. 
But uh, she certainly didn't hurt in any way, and it's not going to hurt in any way, I don't think, to have Lauren Embry in that national championship mojo in Athens uh, when Florida moves on to the round of 16, plays uh, Texas A&M, a team they know very well from the SEC, on Friday. Uh, last year they were they were the number one seed and got ousted in the round of 16 because of some weird stuff. The draw put them up against Stanford, which had a bunch of players playing in pro tournaments, and it's all numerical and it all mm-hmm. goes by computers how the ratings were. So they didn't take into account some of these great players that Stanford had that weren't competing. So they were underseeded, sure. and it was an unfortunate situation for Florida. But it's now on that. Uh, Maybe they can try to rectify and go there with, with that in mind from last year. Use that maybe as a little bit of motivation. Let's talk nuts and bolts on the court. What are the pieces that are going to help Florida if they're going to win another national championship? In talking to the Miami coach afterwards, one of the things that she was talking about was depth, and she pointed out to the fact that Brooke Austin is playing number five singles. Uh, she was a junior. Her, her freshman and sophomore year, she was playing one or two. Mm-hmm. And she's battling back from an injury, but I think that just speaks to the depth of this team. Uh, if you have a player – I mean, two years ago she was playing in the U.S. Open as an amateur. So uh, now she's playing at number five singles. Uh, that speaks to what Belinda Wilcox has been able to do to get up to that number one spot. Uh, Ingrid Neal is a freshman who's playing really, really well. I think it was uh, Anna Danilina had the uh, had the closeout match in consecutive days. And, of course, the what they're always going to talk about and what Roland Thornquist saw. He put so much emphasis on, on that doubles point, which is that first point out there. And mm-hmm. if you can get that, obviously, the opponent is chasing. And relative to what they have going with doubles, I go back to Brooke Austin and Courtney Keegan. They're the key doubles team. Um, while they're not playing number one doubles right now, they are the defending doubles national champions. So um, anytime that he made the point afterwards, if we can get that doubles point because of our depth, we're going to be a difficult team to catch up to um, as those singles matches progress. So round is 16 Friday, and then if you want to follow tennis on their quest to a championship, it happens in rapid succession. Rapid succession, absolutely. If you win Friday, you advance Saturday, Saturday, and Sunday. So if you win, you play the next day. Mm-hmm. So it's Sweet 16, quarters, semis, and if they were fortunate enough to play for the whole thing, that would be Monday. Same thing for men. It's a great environment up there for team tennis because both the men and the women are competing at the same time. So good luck to both Gator squads up there. And there was a lot riding on lacrosse last weekend, Scott, and it didn't turn out the way that they wanted for the second straight year. Tell us what went down at lacrosse and why their season came to an early end. Well, Florida going in, you know, their third overall seed. Uh, they kind of got a tough draw the first round. I mean, USC is a young program. They only started the program in 2012, but they're coached by Lindsey Monday, who had a great career at Northwestern. Uh, and they have a perhaps the best goaltender in the country in college at lacrosse. And Gussie John, she's a member of the uh, U.S. national team that's going to play in uh, England this summer uh, for the World Cup. And her coach uh, also happens to be one of the USC's assistants, and she's going to be the starting goaltender for that team. So you're looking at a team that really uh, has a good defense, but you got to remember they came to Gainesville back in February. The Gators beat them 15-10. And uh, on paper, uh, both teams are really playing well going into the game. Florida won nine in a row. Uh, USC had won 11 in a row, and they obviously advanced by beating Jacksonville uh, on Friday to get to Sunday's match against the Gators. And it was kind of what you would expect. It was back and forth. Gators scored first. They got down 3-1. to one. It just battle, battle. Gators had their last lead at 12-11 to 11 with about seven minutes left. And then a couple of plays by Johns and goal. Uh, a couple of bounces went USC's way. And they were just the more aggressive team at the end and executed better than Florida did. And uh, Gators coach Amanda Leary, you know, she liked the way her team, you know, what they gave her. But, you know, she, she said they were not as sharp as they could have been either on offense or defense. And it cost them in the end. And it's the second early exit for that program in a row. You got to remember they lost in the first round last year at home to Penn State in overtime. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's it's an eight-year-old program. They've been to the tournament seven times. And when you get to the Final Four in your third year, Obviously, that raises expectations, sure. and, and they've been unable to get back there the last five years. Uh, I still think uh, it's just a matter of, you know, you got to play well when it's the most important time, and kind of had a tough draw there to have their first game at home in the tournament against USC because USC is, they're going to, you know, they play up at Boston College this weekend to go to their Final Four. won't be surprised at all if they advance. I mean, they've won 38 of their last 42 games, so... They are a very good team, uh, but it, obviously disappointing for Florida. Amanda O'Leary's main message afterward, you know, obviously thank the seniors who 
helped them get to four tournaments in a row weren't able to advance past the second round and uh, she's got a you know a pretty young team there's gonna Mm -hmm. be a lot of talent back next year but i think it's now to the point where it's a mission now just to get, overcome those early hurdles because, you know, when you lose twice in a row in the first round, you enter really as a team that a lot of people are thinking Maryland, North Carolina, Florida, sure. those three teams might win it. And he's, like I said, it was disappointing. Let's wrap with a little football tidbit. Never too late for a little bit of football talk. And I know Jim McElwain had a conference call this week and some new stuff coming out about the offensive line. Yeah, you know, one thing I took out of it, probably the biggest takeaway was just – how excited he sounded about the potential of the offense line. He said, you know, from what he's kind of evaluated after spring practice and with what they have on the roster now coming in, he said this is going to be a true strength of the team. And, you know, when you look at them last year, they they certainly had their moments, but they lost David Sharp, who uh, was a regular starter at left tackle. Mm -hmm. He went to the NFL early. Obviously, Cam Dillard, who started at center until T.J. McCoy took his job. He's no longer here. He transferred to North Carolina. Uh, but you got some influx of players, the young players. But the biggest thing is uh, obviously Martez Ivy moving to left tackle in Sharp's place. Uh, you got Tyler Jordan back. You know we mentioned T.J. McCoy. So there's some veteran guys there. Jawan Taylor is a guy who really impressed as a true freshman last year. And uh, Brent Hedgie is a guy that we kept hearing throughout the spring, and and he's going to be heavily involved. Uh, he said, you know, you look at this group, it was definitely an offense or a weakness for the offense in his first year. Uh, they just didn't have depth there, and they built mm-hmm. the depth back up. Uh, they've got a new coach in Brad Davis who's instilled a different kind of mindset. So uh, I think, you know, he, he was talking about on the SEC spring teleconference, not a lot of news, straight news out of there. He, he was asked a lot about the new rules that were passed last week in terms of early signing date and stuff. But as far as his discussion about the Gators, the offensive line was kind of the headliner. Make sure to check out all of what these guys have at FloridaGators.com. And uh, I know we'll have a lot more to talk about next week. Look forward to talking to you guys then. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Adam. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice. And please leave a review to help us continue to grow. We encourage you to get out to the ballparks and support baseball and softball in this massive weekend on the Diamond and come back next week as we'll break it all down. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you in Gainesville.